We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and your host of Give Me Strength. What makes a strong person to you? Could it be the kilograms in your deadlift, the miles you're able to run, or is it as simple as saying how you feel, an inner feeling of strength that's there regardless of your fitness abilities? Each week, I'll be looking into this concept, asking extraordinary women about their ever-evolving relationship with exercise and how their experiences have shaped who they are today. Together, we'll discuss the positives of living a stronger life, both physically and mentally, in the hope that we can inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Last week, I had the honour of awarding today's guest with the Cosmopolitan Magazine Fitness Influencer of the Year Award. Since meeting Sophie Butler, her vibrant energy and tenacity was clear to see, and I knew that I had to have her on the podcast. On the 5th of July, 2017, Sophie suffered a life-changing injury whilst weight training in the gym. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to her about her experiences that have shaped who she is today. Sophie, welcome to Give Me Strength. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's, it's very nice to be here. Absolute pressure. It's nice to see you again. Yeah. I want to talk to you about young Sophie. Okay. Pre-winning your award and being oh the fabulous person that you are today. So you're now 22, but yes. you grew up in Essex. Yep. Do you have happy memories of your childhood? Oh, so I, gr- I mean, I grew up in Essex. So I kind of I didn't really have a good experience at school. It wasn't like anything like horrific, but I was just kind of the weird kid, really. It was just kind of like a normal sort of childhood. I'd say things kind of sort of started to like change for me. When I was about 15, my mum and dad split up. So I had quite like an abusive relationship with my mum growing up. So it was more sort of psychological abuse and like emotional abuse. So if I annoyed her, she would send me to school without dinner money and refuse to cook me dinner and all of these things that like my dad had no idea what's going on got to about 15 and I've said to him like I can't deal with this anymore like I really hate her which sounds horrible to say when it's like your mum still I feel bad about saying it I can't be around her yeah that came out and then they end up getting a divorce and then I moved in with my dad so since I was about 16 it's just been me and my dad and then up until about a year and a half ago it became me my dad and my stepmom who now all live together in Essex um, but probably just as close to her as I am to my dad, we get on really, really, really well. Yeah, she's really lovely. That must have been really tough, though, at that time, having that relationship. And as someone who's been in a, an abusive relationship with a partner, I can understand some of the um, psychological control that goes on. And it's so yeah. debilitating. And especially to be going through school at that time, that was basically exactly the same age that I was in an abusive relationship. I was 15. Yeah. And dealing with all of those emotions whilst also having to go to school and put on a brave face and kind of get on with it everything yeah. is really so tough. I think, I think when something like that happens, you kind of either go like one way or the other. So mm. for me, like, because I loved studying and I loved, I didn't love school, but I loved learning. I mm. loved, you know, reading and all of that stuff. So I just threw myself into studying. I remember like if there was arguments going on at home, I would literally just take a book anywhere and just go like study just because I thought, the only thing I want here is to study, get to A-levels, get to uni, move away and just kind of like move on Yeah, everything that had happened. Yeah. But it's it's funny that you talk about like the control and stuff because I mean, when it's like your mum, it's like you feel bad for saying that you're controlling me, you're abusing me because like that she's your mum. But mm. like it got to the point where I was age 16 and I remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to depend on anyone again because if your own mum can do that to you, then... Mm you know, what's the rest of the world like outside? Mm. It was a very, a very, very hard time. Like, I think only up until about 21 that I really started to process that. I mean, even that was only like a year or so ago. Yeah, so it's not even really yeah, been that long. And it does take a long time. And I think also it's really difficult to deal with those emotions when you're actually in something. It almost is that, for example, me, I only really dealt with the issues and the emotions and all of the, the kind of trauma that went on at that time three or four years later yeah. when I could then look back with the hindsight and be like oh my goodness like I can kind of see now what was happening whereas when I was in it I was so 
emotionally led and, and didn't yeah. really understand and you're so clouded by like you said those feelings of like oh but you're supposed to love me so like what's yeah. going on here and you kind of you start making excuses for them mm. as well mm-hmm. kind of a you know they kind of just trying to excuse them because you don't want to believe it's kind of yeah. you know it's happening and that's happening to you I guess mm. so I wanted to ask about before you had your accident mm-hmm. you started to get into weight training yeah and I love all of your training videos you're thank you awesome and as a personal trainer it's so good to see someone who has perfect form um, but so how did you too. start getting into weight training was it someone that you saw online was it something that you kind of like have read about yeah so I got into weight training and fitness when I was in my second year at uni I kind of like a rough time at uni I think I was still processing everything that happened at home in Essex my mum mm. was a few years later it started to catch up with me mm. I guess and then there was kind of like a salty breakup at uni and everything was just coming to a head mm. and I remember like just thinking to myself you need to do something because you're getting to the point where you're not you don't care about uni anymore like, I didn't mm. care about my work mm. and that was the only thing that mattered to me since yeah well, that was I a think, big change yeah since I think from the minute I could walk or like talk it's just like all I've cared about is learning and I started to kind of not care about it anymore so I was like you need to do something for yourself mm. and you need to stop focusing on everyone around you mm. so I think I had a conversation with one of the girls at work and she was really into weight training so I think I went to the gym once with her and I think I cried on the way home because it was just like like my body just felt broken but it was kind of like this feeling where I was like oh I felt really good the next day so I was like it hurts but I'm really really liking that I did that for myself so I think I went back a few times with her and then I think within like a few months I was going five six times a week it just kind of sort of went on and became Mm. more like a part of my life and up to this point what was your relationship like with exercise had you not done any sport as a kid no, up until then absolutely nothing I mean because at school like for me like I was literally having this conversation with a physio yesterday but for me at school PE was for like the cool kids PE for me was a terrifying experience mm. it was awful and I remember like dreading every single PE lesson so I think I just had my, that on my idea in the head that that's what fitness was fitness was for a certain type of person and it was for like the cool kids whereas when I got to school when I got to uni sorry and I started seeing that fitness is you know for anyone who wants to do it mm. I think that's when my perception of it tried to change yeah absolutely I, I was exactly the same as you I never made any of the sports teams no matter how hard I tried and then by the time I got to sick form it was like how many notes can I try and forge in my mum's handwriting to get me out of PE see I'm so lucky I went to college so I didn't have to do PE after, oh, after so year lucky. 11 I was like I was done with it oh, I'm so jealous <laughs> and what was your relationship like with your body at this point a lot of people start on their exercise journey it's because they want to change the way they look but from the sounds of things it sounds like you were almost just doing it to gain confidence and improve your strength yeah so I mean I didn't have a great relationship with my body that's something that I've been working on uh, probably from around sort of time of uni growing up I, I hated my body like as a child but I thought that was a normal thing it's only since I think the so last, many of us do it's so weird. only in the last few months I've realized it's not normal to feel like that but I no. think as girls you think it is such like a normal thing like I remember as a child and I'm talking about eight nine years old when sitting at like family Christmases and stuff would sit like a pillow over my stomach to hide rolls and that's at like eight nine years old but up until you know recent I thought that was completely normal mm. so I never had a great relationship with my body which might sound really odd to people who follow me and know me because I come across so confident and sassy but that is something that I've really had to mold myself into I remember when I was in the first year of uni I met my now best friend Dan he was at the Cosmopolitan Awards with me he was he he's was. fabulous yeah he's brilliant <laughs> pink <I know>. <laughs> yes always got to be seen but I remember when he I because I was a loner at uni for the first sort of semester and he invited me into a group project and I remember we just got talking more and more and he remember him just saying to me like about the confidence issue he said that you just got to fake it till you make it you pretend to be confident Mm. you will start to feel confident Mm. and people will start to treat you like you are Mm. so I think I just kind of sort of adapted that mentality it kind of rolled on into the gym and then I think a few years later looking at now I think I genuinely am confident in who I am Mm. and you know more so because I've just realized how worthless physical appearances are exactly I think after my injury I was just like well why does it matter anyway like I'm proud of my physical body but it's just it's 
No, it's not the end of the world. But is also, it? like I think, I, I don't know. I I got to a point, certainly in my own journey, where where I was like, hang on a second, like I'm spending so much time and energy thinking about the way I look when I bring so much more to the table yeah. than that, and yet I'm I'm, I'm spending like ninety percent of my energies on my appearance and ten percent on that other stuff. And actually, yeah. like if I shifted it the other way, I had so much more. Comp- like I'd walk into a meeting and be like, I know exactly what I'm going to say, and I and I I know my own brain, and I know what I want to do, and. I think it's a lot, a lot to do with, I guess, shifting the perspective. And I yeah. do think that comes from growing up as well. I think Massively. you're so right. So many girls now, and, and it upsets me so much how many women hate their bodies. Yeah. And just as you said, you know, like it's almost like we're conditioned to believe that that's the way we're supposed to be. And I think when you get older, it's just about almost like unlearning everything Completely. you've learned about yours. Because you, you yeah. get to, I mean, I got to maybe between 21, 22, because after my injury, like I learned so much about life and myself. And mm. I remember just having like this moment where, because I, I went to a Catholic school and, you know, I remember having this moment thinking all these different things about religion and capitalism and like really deep thoughts and just thinking, why the F do I think that anyway? And I remember having all these thoughts and thinking, no, like you need to deconstruct everything like why is that that why like why can't that be something else yeah well I think we just develop or I have certainly in the last few years developed critical thinking which is something that I don't think we're encouraged to do really at yeah. school like at school we're kind of like this is the way that things are this is how you do Answer things to the essay get 12 yeah. marks exactly yeah. oh my god completely like I used to do the same on social media that I just scroll through and take everything as gospel oh yeah, yeah that's that's the way it should be oh and that especially in fitness that's yeah. when it can become like so dangerous and then suddenly my brain woke up one day and was like why yeah why why is like why do I have to listen to what everyone else says develop your critical thinking question stuff ask why yeah you know develop that almost like ability to 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 not take things as gospel and just develop your own thoughts and feelings about the world you know it's really I heard this quote the other day and it was it's just so similar it's something along the lines of the rules of the world was written by someone not much more intelligent than you something like that and it's just like that idea of like Mm. you know don't take everything as gospel yeah question everything I love that and you were studying psychology at university tell me why why psychology what was it about it I think for me like psychology is I've always been fascinated with people I mean Mm -hmm. since I was a child I wanted to work with animals and I realized I wasn't good enough at biology to be a vet and also I'd cry if I ever had to put a dog down my second sort of thing that I, I loved was learning about people and you know people who who need help and understanding why people are the way that they are so I think a lot of that probably does come from wanting to understand everything that happened with my mum yeah and wanting to understand you know why how could you do that why did you do that so I think that's when I really started to get into psychology and I thought well that would be such you know a great field because my dad always used to say to me is there is a reason why everyone acts the way that they do so to try and understand that is just always been kind of the core Mm. of everything that I love Mm. I love that I want to talk about that day in 2017. Yeah. I want to hear, if it's okay, Mm -hmm. in your own words, what you remember happening. Yes. So my uh, my spinal injury happened on the 5th of July 2017. And it's actually so spooky because it was the day that I got my uni results. So I remember getting my uni results in the morning and I got and found out I was getting a 2-1. So I remember like going into my dad's room. I was literally like crying, like shaking Mm. because I thought I really messed up one of my exams. So I was like, that's it. I'm not graduating like I've ruined it I've ruined it and I thought that for months so to find out you know you're actually graduating I'm running through his room and he was just like what the hell is going on because mm. I work very quietly I don't tell anyone I'm doing anything mm. and then I show them the results so he had no idea it was the results day so um he was like that's fine he was like do you want to go out and celebrate or should we carry because we were already ready to go to the gym mm. so I said let's just go to the gym we're ready we might as well and then we'll do something after so we're both going to separate gyms so he drove me to mine and then he drove off to his one so I went in, did my warm-ups, you know, a bit of walking, a little mm. bit of lightweight, mm. uh, squatting, all of that stuff. And then I think it was on about my third or fourth set of squats. So I was squatting 70 kilograms in the gym. Uh, kind of like a normal sort of weight for me. Like mm. that was kind of something I was comfortable squatting mm. with before. And then the next thing I remember is just falling to my bum. With more context, this was in the Smith machine. And as I was falling, I'm thinking this is going to hurt. Mm. Like it, but it was like, it happened so quick, but then so slow at the same time. Mm. It was literally, you see in movies how life kind of like slows down when something happens and it is exactly like that. It was like everything around me just sort of stopped. So I remember hitting the floor and I'm not 100% sure. I might have passed out for about a minute, but I don't really recall like perfectly. So I just remember sitting on the floor and thinking, what 
the hell has just happened? So I was sitting there just thinking, okay, okay, just just look around. And it's almost like, because I was embarrassed. I didn't want to call out for help or anything like that. But I, it was almost like an instinct. My body just shouted. So I was like, help, help. So people like came running over. So I remember people just saying to me, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. I just feel really weird. And it wasn't until someone said to me, can you move your legs? Can you get up? And then I just had this sudden realization. Like I looked down and I was like, I can't move my legs. And then I looked at my legs and there was people like moving my legs and touching them. I was like, I can't feel that. So then that's when I had this moment. I just looked at it and thought, oh my God. And my body just went into complete shock. So I didn't start to feel pain up until about 20 minutes after it happened. So I think your your body's natural adrenaline kicks Mm. in. It's like a natural painkiller. The gym called my dad. They called an ambulance. So my dad turned up and he was a little bit like, I've only left you for like 20 minutes. half an hour. Is that what the hell's going on? He kind of didn't really understand what was going on. It was a little bit of a blur. I just remember the ambulance people getting there. And then that's when I sort of start to lose memory because the pain, I have never felt anything like it in my life. Like at the time I thought, I, I don't know what is going on inside me, but something's not right. So at the time I know now what had happened was my backbone had basically snapped in half. And instead of snapping out of the body, it snapped in. So it basically went through and like compressed the spinal cord. So... The only thing I can sort of compare it to, it would be like if someone took a knife, like grating cheese, down your spinal cord, that is what it felt like. Mm. So the the next few hours for me are just complete blur. So I remember being rushed to my local hospital and I remember laying in, I think it was like minor injuries there because they had no idea what was going on. And it took ages for someone just to say, look, this girl needs to be in an MRI. She needs to, we need to find out what's going on because it looks like a spinal injury. Everyone there was just like, it couldn't possibly be a spinal injury. It's just, no, it's fine. It should be fine. I think one of the nurses said it was a temporary digestive problem and then oh I would be God. fine. But at this point, I was like throwing up in pain. I was like, my body was just naturally rejecting what was happening because it was trying to tell me something was wrong. And so they ended up getting me an MRI and they saw what was wrong. And I remember them trying to explain to me, but I was just out of it, like fading in and out of consciousness and not really with it. So what they basically did was took me to another hospital in Romford, Queens, because that's where the spinal sort of neurosurgeons were. Bear in mind, my injury happened at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember getting to Queen's, uh, the intensive care section at about eight o'clock in the evening. And I can't really remember anything between one o'clock and eight o'clock. That time for me is just completely lost. Yeah. And then I remember we went into surgery at about half 10, I think, at night. But because they knew they were going to be operating on me from one o'clock in the afternoon till half 10 at night, I couldn't have any painkillers. So because they knew they put me under anaesthetic, they couldn't give me anything. So I just remember laying there and I had basically pieces of bone just cutting into my spinal cord with no painkillers. And there was at one point, it was when I got to Rumford, like the intensive care unit, maybe about half eight, they were trying to prep me for surgery, take blood tests and do all of that stuff. And my body just completely... It almost like had like a fit as if to say, look, someone do something, something's happening. And I just remember like my body basically went into a fit, like I was convulsing, I was throwing up. And that's when they were like, this girl needs to be in surgery like now. Because, you know, if it it goes on for much longer, it's not going to... It's not going to be good. I actually read a quote from an article that you'd written where you said, and you put it so poetically, but you said, hours went by from hospital to hospital. I felt my heart growing weaker as it tried to set me free of the pain coursing through my body. In those initial hours, what was going through your mind? Did you were you completely out of it, or were you sort of just in a state of such panic that you almost went into shutdown mentally and physically? I think physically, my body was shutting down. I mean, because it was physically so painful, I was just thinking, well, why don't you just stop breathing when you're in that much physical pain? Which I don't think a lot of people probably will never experience in their life but you want to just find the easiest way of of stopping feeling Mm, that pain mm. who was your support in those early days was your dad the one that I think yeah majorly was my definitely my dad Dan you know all of like my family were just sort of there Mm. I remember them being there pretty much every single day sitting here with you now it's really hard to believe the dark place that you described that you went to just because you are just so bright and bubbly and full of energy. And I hate to describe it as a turning point because I'm sure that there are and still are days of toughness. But was there a moment 
coming out and into your recovery when they kind of realize the seriousness of your injury and you start to go on to um, have surgery and then come out the back end of surgery and look at recovery was there a moment when that mental black cloud started to clear and you felt like you could look almost positively towards your recovery because I was on so many drugs and because I had the surgery and everything like I haven't got a time scale in, in yeah. my brain of the first sort of month I'd say mm. maybe the first sort of six weeks so I remember thinking like when I got to because you go through uh I was in the hospital they had my surgery and so I was in Romford and then I got sent back to Basden Hospital and then when I was at Basden, my local hospital, there was quite a lot of medical abuse. There was quite a lot of neglect. So, because I was a spinal injury, and they're not um, average nurses aren't equipped to deal with spinal injuries. It's like a specialist injury, but there wasn't a bed free at Stanmore. So I was at Basel and basically just laying in the bed waiting to get to rehab, which oh, is where you can learn how to. Yeah. Um, get out of bed and learn how to do transfers and getting out of cars and things like that and basically get ready to go home. Mm. So the whole time I was in Basildon, it was like things just kept getting worse and worse. So I remember thinking like, once again, like you've got to look after yourself here because no one here is going to look after you. It got to the point where I had to report it to a matron and be like, I don't feel safe in this hospital. I started taking notes of everything, everything I'm being fed, everything, all of the drugs, because I'm so, I'm not even paranoid because I know it was just what I was doing because it was just like they just didn't care. And it was only about and three or at four. At this point, you have literally had a life-changing injury yeah. that has completely changed life as you know it. And yet you're not being given that like the care that care and that you think, so rightly deserve I mean there are so many examples of things that went wrong within the hospital you think oh you love the NHS and you love what they do for you so you don't want to report it and you don't want to cause trouble but the people yeah. who are already working 12 hours a day and look there's good and bad in everything yeah and you know there are amazing doctors and nurses in the NHS but there is also stuff that I'm sure like you said isn't is up, to, up to standard and is yeah. quite quite simply horrifying and I think what that demonstrates to me is the courageousness that you've got, despite everything that was happening. You know, you're so confident to be able to be like, I know what I need and deserve. Yeah. And this is not meeting my standards and almost addressing that head on. That's re- that takes a lot of guts, particularly having gone through what you'd gone through. And I think that's, that's amazing in itself. So you address those issues and were you then moved? Yeah. So I basically said to the matron, you know, these, I pointed out nurses or HAs, whatever, whatever they were, their titles. Mm. And I just said, they, are not looking after me anymore it's gone past the point of them saying sorry and addressing their problems they are not looking after me period mm. so there was only about three or four nurses on the ward who were allowed to care for me because so, it got to that point and so I remember I think about a week after that I got the news that I was being moved to Stanmore so I don't know if that was coincidence or them being like we need to get rid of her she's doing like pain in my ass so they moved me to Stanmore which was a specialist spinal unit, and they are brilliant. Like, I can't fault them. Like, they know what they're doing. When I got there, I was so paranoid, and I think they thought I was crazy because they don't understand, or they didn't know anyway, everything that's going on in other hospitals. I think because they, they know they're great. They think everyone else is... Doing the same. the same. And then when I said to them, no, like, this is what's happened, I think they were horrified. And I think I'd only been at Stanmore for about two weeks and then that's when my boyfriend at the time came to the hospital and he broke up with me there and then in the <gasps> hospital I locked myself in the bathroom at the ward and I remember thinking how the hell am I supposed to keep picking myself back up when people keep kicking me down it's like oh, you know sorry. how much can one person go through the week after my boyfriend broke up with me was graduation week so I remember getting like a one night pass out of the hospital to go up to Lincoln and that goes to graduation the next day. Mm. So, and I remember like going to graduation thinking like, I don't know if I can do this, don't know if I can do this. Like, I knew he was going to be there. I know so many people are going to be there and obviously there's going to be questions and whatever. Like that was the first time I'd been outside of a hospital, not in an ambulance to and from a hospital in uh, six, or seven weeks. So to go up on stage and, you know, accept your, yeah. your graduation award in front of like a whole cathedral of people was... It was like a big, big thing. So I think that for me was probably a moment where I was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, you did that. Like, that was really amazing. I remember being like on a high for about a week, but then because it was such a high and it was an unsustainable high, when I came back to the hospital the next day, it was like such a crash because you get back to the hospital and you're doing the same, what was then boring physio because it wasn't as active as what I'm doing now. Mm. It wasn't stuff that I enjoy. So I remember just being so 
bored, so like lonely because there was no one on the ward like my age. I think the thing that made me most I felt alone is that when people are talking to you like staff, they're talking to you because they're making notes. So they're asking how you are and they probably do genuinely mean it. But I knew they was going to go away and write a, a whole write up on it. If I say I'm not feeling too good, I'm, you know, I'm feeling depressed or anything like that. They yeah. were going to go write a write up, yeah. send a dietitian in, send a psychiatrist in. And it mm. just felt like there was nowhere that I could run to, to like process a breakup and, you know, process everything that had happened. It was like, it was like being a mid brother. It was like mm. constant surveillance. I, I feel bad because I can't even fault them because they have to do what they did and they have to make sure that you're, you know, not going to harm yourself and they have to do all of these things. But it's like, I just want someone to treat me like a human being yeah. and not as like a patient, which is what you have become. You become like patient B for like so long. It just became like, well, but who am I like who and, and your identity is kind of like well we're actually completely yeah, gone. gone and you just get into like I remember being like so depressed like really genuinely like the most depressed I think I've ever been and hopefully will ever be it was like a really really low point where just felt absolutely nothing like I didn't even feel mm. sad mm. it had gone past the point of feeling sad it was like, like it, numbness it was just that's exactly what was completely numb like I remember people trying to bring me in food that I liked and whatever and I was like I'm not hungry like I'm never hungry anymore so they tried to get a dietitian to speak to me and then they realized it wasn't a physical thing so they got a psychiatrist to speak to me and they were all good at what they did but it was just like something I had to go through I think it was like a process you have to go through but nothing kind of infused me there was nothing that made me passionate there like today like you know I get out of bed I wake up and I think god I can't wait to get to the gym I can't Mm. wait to have a coffee like the smallest little things whereas like then it was like oh great like I have to get out of bed and see people do I everything was like an effort it was just like it was like being like a walking like a zombie we'll be back after this of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will i become senwa saga hellblade 2 play it now with game pass welcome back to give me strength and at that time was there anyone within the spinal cord rehabilitation unit that stood out to you as, as being a particularly good support? Was there anyone that was like, you know, that one person was really there for me, they really had my back and they did do that digging that they needed to? Or was it only friends, family, like your dad, your friends? Um, I think as a whole, the spinal unit, I think they do what they do very, very well. When you spend all of your time in one place, you start to think, so like they, I, I had an OT called Fran and she was just a little bit older than me. She was mm. interested in similar stuff. Mm. And because I spent, well, probably like two hours a day with her, you start to kind of grow attachments to them. And then you kind of think, oh no, to them, this is just a professional relationship. Like she's not my friend. Mm. And then I think that made me even more sad because I was like, oh, this is her job. She's just getting paid to help me, which you can't blame them for because that's what they're there yeah, for. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, you start to think, well, who is there for me? But there were definitely some standout people who you think, God, I'm so glad that they were there like doing their job. But I think the whole model of spinal injury recovery is just so warped. It's kind of not written by someone who's been in that situation Mm. because when it's so easy to say okay this is the procedure of how things should be done when you're not in the situation Mm. it's so easy to say okay so this is point a b c d but when you're in it it's like whoa you need to yeah and i'm not speaking from experience but it sounds like from what you're saying that you had lots of people doing their job well without the synergy of actually them all coming together and being like this is the bigger picture. Yeah. Psychiatrist speaking to the dietitian, speaking to the... They would have like a meeting every week with you and they say they'd Mm. all speak together. But then again, it was like you're sitting in a room with so many medical professionals and so many experts Mm. who who are good at their job. And it was just kind of like them talking about your very personal injury recovery and very personal like medical stuff all yeah. of it all of like it was just like a board meeting like you was discussing you and know like was, a brand deal or something yeah. like that and it's like this is my life like this is yeah. not you know this is not a business yeah which is what it kind of feels like when you're in it anyway because there's so, so little beds yeah because people have to get in they when well, they basically want to get you fit enough to go home and then get the next person in because 
that that's kind of what you have to do and I think for me I didn't really have that sort of turning point you was talking about in your question that turning point for me was when I got home by the end of my hospital stay I think I think the hospital staff hated me because I just became so hard to work with because I knew I wanted to get home and that was it so anything else I was I was I'm really quite rude actually you only look back on stuff and you're like oh god that was really quite rude but But I think it's important that like you never know how you're going to behave until you're in that situation situation. and you never know how you're going to react and actually all it sounds like is that you were just so desperate to get yourself in a good place yeah and you know I think sometimes being stubborn is actually a really good thing and knowing your own mind is actually even better and it sounds like you had all of those things in abundance I think for me it was just getting to the point where my dad would come to visit and then like watching him leave the hospital I would then like I love seeing him and then watching him leave the hospital I would sit there and like cry for the rest mm. of the night because I was like I just want to go home like yeah and I remember like just sitting there every single day like I want to go home want to go home want to go home so I think when I finally got home it was a shock because it was very different you know going home you're um you're still you're using a wheelchair and coming out of that hospital environment is so daunting because it's like not everywhere is going to be perfectly accessible and you have to learn to deal with it when it mm. happens you know like even like today there was like cobbled streets and uneven pavings but now it's nearly two years on I've learned how to deal with it but at the time it was like how the hell am I going to do this yeah and everything feels new everything is brand new and I think people expect oh she's coming out of hospital she's fine it's like yeah but fine is Mm. not fine I think to a certain extent when you're in hospital I mean one of our other guests is also um, in a wheelchair and she spoke about how you almost become a bit institutionalised in that everyone around you is in a wheelchair or is either a quadriplegic or a paraplegic and then you get very used to everything being catered to yeah. being accessible and then and then when suddenly you when you come out, out it's yeah. almost a bit like oh god like and the real world is a bit yeah, different 100% and you have this shock of like accessibility I always say accessibility is so much more than just ramps and lifts and you mm. know all of that stuff it's about the way that you treat disabled people it's about your attitudes to yeah. disability because when I came out of hospital I had such a shock of the way people treated me I wanted to ask to you me. about that because I also follow you on YouTube obviously <laughs> And you, you've actually done a couple of videos where you talk about yeah. the way to speak to disabled people. And I was like, this is so needed. Like, why is there people, not more And I'll of this? be honest, before my injury, I probably hadn't given it a thought, to be honest. Mm. I, I would like to think that I wouldn't have been purposely ignorant, but I probably was ignorant a couple mm-hmm. of times, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay to admit. Like, I will happily admit that I, before my injury, used disabled toilets when I didn't need to. And now I look back and I God, that is so embarrassing because now I preach accessibility and ableism, you know, and I did it but I think that just goes to show like people forget that disabled people exist and that things are there for disabled people like even at my local gym um, you'll find like a load of mothers using the disabled bays and they say oh we're happy to move you know if you come in and let us know and I'm like well the point is I need to park to come in and let you know which I can't do so it's just I was planning making that video just because I was so tired of being an afterthought when I think probably because for the majority of my life I've been so privileged in terms of you know abilities so I think I it's kind of that moment of God like someone needs to like be shouting about this Mm. I do think you're totally right when what you say about privilege is that that for me for example like I've really had my eyes opened to the privilege that I that I have now and how important that inclusiveness and diversity is yeah but it's really only been in the last few years and it's been a real learning curve for me and it's definitely been something that I'm still trying to learn and work on because I think all of us have work to do in this department. I think 100%. all of us ha- can can always do more. There's never enough yeah. that you can do. I think the most important thing is like a willingness to learn because the yeah. one thing like I can't start, I'm very, you know, open to talk with people who have different opinions and different values and all of that stuff. But if you're not willing to learn and listen, for me, that's just a no-go. Mm. But I think with brands, if they're, because, you know, I, I mean, I was the first disabled person to sign with Gymshark. So for me, like that was a big, big thing. Personally, because I love Gymshark has been wearing them for years so to be recognized as the first disabled athlete was you know mind-blowing to me but I think the thing that really made me want to sign with them is when I went up there first of all they treated me like a human being which a lot of people don't when you're Mm. out so they just treated me like someone they wanted on their team and they would ask me questions you know like how do you feel about this what can we do to support you what what would you like to see from us as a brand because we don't represent everyone and we want to know how we can which I think is the most important thing yeah and I think there's something really interesting and in that and you've alluded to this earlier when you said I used to use disabled toilets and I think we've all done things wrong in the past all of us and all of us have been ignorant to 
it's less about looking back and being like, why did you do that? And instead looking forward and being like, how can I make positive change? Yeah. And I think, you know, I hold my hands up and say, there are things that I've done now that I look back and I think, Jesus, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, it's but kind actually of now yeah. I know that I'm in a place where I just want to look forward and say, what more can I do to create more inclusivity, more yeah. diversity, and to educate myself to operate better around everyone yeah. and it's important to, to know I mean so for me like I had no you know like I am not privileged in the sense of being disabled but then I have so many privileges of being white of being from you know a fairly sort of stable income family mm -hmm. so I think it's just about noticing that having privilege doesn't mean that you haven't had a hard life because I know I, I haven't had an easy life and I've overcome things but then I can notice okay but being white is something that hasn't hindered that mm. so it's just about you know realizing your privileges and realizing what you can do to help because especially with disability in that intersection mm. is we need able-bodied people mm. because um, the sad story is is that disabled people voices aren't heard enough mm. so we need more um, able-bodied people to be shouting about our issues too because there's mm. times where I'll be out and I experience something that is very common to me now whereas my friends will see it my able-bodied friends will see it and be like oh my god I can't believe you have to go through that I can't yeah. believe you know that is the way it is and yeah. you know and I think it's just like able-bodied people realizing that life is very different when you're not able-bodied but it, it can be, it can easily be rectified if more people are shouting about the problems. Yes, yeah. and are just aware. And it yeah. is about awareness. It's about visibility and it's about awareness. And it's about being able to see something from another perspective than your own and know yeah. that other people face difficulties that you might not have ever experienced, but that doesn't mean that you can't do something about them. Exactly, yeah. And make positive change. Um, in those early months after you came out of hospital, what were some of the bigger ch challenges that you did find yourself facing? I think for me, confidence was a big thing. So um, being confident enough to do things like go to a Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because it's like, and, and little tiny things like, oh, how do I dress now? Because like now, I mean, because I've built up strength and I kind of know what I'm doing, you know, I can put on any outfit and make it work. You've Whereas, got fabulous fashion sense. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's like when, when you first come out of hospital, it's like, well, I can't wear the clothes that I used to wear because mm -hmm. they're so much harder to get on and little things like that and thinking, oh God, like, I mean, it wasn't until last week with the Cosmopolitan Awards, I, that was my first time into London since my injury. And really? Yeah. Well, before my injury, I used to come into London like all the time. I would just get on the trains, my tubes, I'd come up myself and just, you know, just, it was, I was from Essex, but it was very easy to get into London. Yeah. So I used to do it all the time. And then it wasn't until last week that I, I came back since my injury and I think when I when we got to London last week I remember checking into the hotel and like just crying in the bathroom because I was like I've missed it so much and I can't believe that I've put up the barrier for myself not coming back just because I was a little bit scared of yeah. what, what trains might be like or what mm. you know they might be really busy but for me like a big thing was going to New York so I went to New York in March and that was my first flight with my injury so that was like a massive massive turning point for me where I was like well if you can travel all the way to New York you can get on the train go to London for mm. God's sake like stop you know stop putting barriers up for yourself yeah. and, and it, there's always the first time is always the hardest as well isn't it yeah you know, and once like, you've done it once it's the like, easier and easier it gets mm. so like once I'd gone to New York I came back and thought you know what I'm gonna go into London like give it a try and then I think I left London last week being like yeah I'm gonna move here soon <laughs> like <laughs> I was like oh I hope you do I miss it so much but yeah there's like loads of things like that where even like so like wheeling around to the gym for myself because we purposely got a house that was for me within wheeling distance of the gym so that I could get back into training and like getting back into training itself after having the injury in the gym was probably one of the biggest things that was probably like the first thing I had to overcome to kind of get everything else in motion I mm -hmm. guess mm -hmm. and are there people at your gym that have been really supportive to you? I know that you've had specific rehab with people. Yeah, so... That wasn't at your gym, though, was it? Is no, it somewhere else? No, so I, I train uh, myself just at, like, a local leisure centre gym. So mm. I've, I've made a friend at the gym, so she kind of will come with me. Mainly, she helps me film my workouts. So, like, she content, does... Content, content, got content, to be Content, you know, got curated. <laughs> so, yeah, she's been brilliant. Like, she helped me with, like, all of that stuff. And then I train as well at a physio centre. Mm -hmm. So spinal injury therapy is... It's not on the NHS so all of the physio and everything that I do is not NHS funded it's you have to pay for it yourself so which shocks everyone that no one knows that because the way I think the way the NHS looks at it is like it's not like a cure 
basically. So there's not like enough definitive proof for it to be on the NHS. But the things that I do in physio, it has just been absolutely amazing for me. Like the, the team that I work with, Prime Physio in Royston, I honestly could not praise them enough. If I hadn't had my parents so being there, basically being like, you need to do this, you need to do this, I would yeah. have very easily have slipped further into depression mm. and like, you know, not not have done all of the things that I've mm. done I wouldn't probably wouldn't have gone to physio I you know probably wouldn't have started to work and to do this stuff it's just like I I think them opportunities are there for disabled people but it's knowing where to go yeah yeah and knowing where to get them and I think the main thing is bridging that gap between discharge from hospital and starting normal life as they call it mm-hmm. getting back to normal life mm-hmm. obviously we've spoken a lot about the physical but I wanted if you could speak about how your mental health really suffered and some of the things that you've done to help get that into a better place yeah so for me it was it's really weird because it's kind of been very like as I said like recovery is not linear no it's you know you're going to whatever recovery that is so it might not be spinal injury it might be eating disorders or it might be any type of mental health recovery even like breaking your leg or something mm. like that you know I think for me the main thing was realizing that so realizing that it's not all going to be fine one day and then carry on to be fine so but I think the main thing that helped for me was actually conquering that fear of the gym again I so I had my injury in July and I left hospital in November so it's four months in hospital and then I started going to the gym again in January so from July through to January I hadn't worked out I'd done physio but that was mainly very basic physio like learning how to transfer so getting out the chair and into cars and things like that Mm -hmm. so I'd lost a lot of muscle Mm -hmm. I'd gained a bit of fat and I just felt so unhealthy and I mm. felt just so crap within myself that I just felt like again like I did in second year like I need to do something mm. but I thought I can't go back to the gym because you know that was like my haven and then it became like a nightmare for me so for me overcoming that place and t- and getting out of that nightmare within the gym was the most important thing so I think overcoming that allowed me to break down so many other or come to terms with other mental health barriers Mm. so I think overcoming that fear of the gym allowed me to find passion again Mm. and I think that is the thing that was missing because the whole time I was in hospital when I came home I didn't enjoy anything like there was nothing that made me want to jump out of bed and like oh I need to do Mm. this need to do that so get being able to get back into the gym and challenge myself physically and mentally as well it just gave me passion again which I think was the most important thing and also give you that identity back you know yeah that that's really really important too and you know I am the biggest advocate of exercise for mental health I sit here as someone who has used it for so many of the wrong reasons and then suddenly realised that actually like all the reasons that I used to want it for are pretty redundant and actually, you know, like me going to the gym and have doing a slow hour training session does wonders for my mental health. Yeah. And I think you are a prime example of where exercise is, you know, so, so good for clearing that mental fog to getting you in a better space, giving you the confidence to having just enjoyment out of, out yeah. of that, that me time. And it is, it's me time. It's, you know, it it's, is. you go yeah. in, you focus on yourself, you work on yourself and you come out and you always feel great. And um, it was like, for me, like, especially within like the first sort of few months of coming home recovery and stuff, because I... I've got a lot more independence so like you know I will go out and do things on my own now and you know I'm hopefully passing my driving test soon which will be you know the big thing where I will just be fully independent but like in the first sort of bits of recovery where you're dependent on so many people to be able to go to the gym and do something for yourself and not have to be around people and talk to people and it's just like you actually get to go and just be by yourself mm. which is so important like because you're like okay I can do that on my own mm. like I didn't have to have someone do that for me mm. definitely let's talk about social media okay so Jay Butler <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> um, you've used it in such an incredible way to document your recovery and your new life as a paraplegic it's really really brave and so needed to hear voices like yourself and like we were talking about in terms of visibility to have people like yourself talking about your injury so openly and honestly what gave you the idea to use that as a tool I guess to document your recovery well I think literally I remember before my injury me and Dan were actually I remember we had a conversation in the Starbucks over lunch like proper millennials and <laughs> we were basically saying like he said to me like I because he, he's not into fitness whatsoever but he I remember him saying like I really like your fitness stuff that you're starting to do on Instagram and I think it could really benefit a lot of people why don't you start doing that and I was like what like one of them like influencer people like you mean like what posting your workouts and stuff I was like what and he was like yeah yeah, do that and I remember just being like I could never feel myself in the 
virgin. It's <laughs> so embarrassing. But yeah, so I kind of had the idea before my injury and then the injury happened and I just had so many um, thoughts and feelings and I'm talking about all different types of subjects from fitness to capitalism and religion and, you know, feminism and all them sorts of stuff and I was writing them down in my laptop while I was in hospital and then it started to make sense to me when I came out of hospital to like visualise this stuff and why don't you just record it and then share it with people i think my friend sent my profile to grace fit because oh, yes. uh, she's quite a good friend of mine now but at the time i was just like the biggest fan of hers like Aww. i was just like such a fan like i've always admired her so much she's such a good businesswoman she's she's just yeah, she's incredible. you know amazing little egg but and when she found my profile and she started to share it and be like this is really amazing stuff that's when i kind of had that moment of like this is really good what you're doing you're doing good girl I read a quote from you where you talk about pushing not only yourself, but also people's expectations of you. Why is this so important for you? I think because people think certain things of me, I just kind of always want to just be like, no, 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 no. Like, let's not get it twisted. This is how it is. And I think the main thing for me is because people expect disabled people to be a certain way. I just always want to show that, no, it's not like that. Like, I think some people expect me to be like all dependent on people and quite shy and reserved and not mm. do anything. And I'm like, mm. well, no, like I'm doing all of these amazing things. Mm-hmm. Like I am, you know, going up to London. I'm in talks with brands and like doing these things. Like I have like a very exciting life which Mm. I want people to to understand and like no that happened because I made it happen Mm. and I managed to turn this thing into this Mm. like I did that Mm. I think there's so much power in changing people's opinion of you and like we are so quick sadly to make snap judgments about people yeah. you know that three second rule of like you've already decided what someone's going to be like and everyone's opinion of you would be different because it's based on their own experiences mm. in life mm-hmm. and you know what they've been through and their experience with people mm. but actually to be able to change that is is, is pretty special yeah. what do the next few years have in store for you oh my god you you've got massive plans hopefully they will be very very busy <laughs> because i have so many plans i think for the last few months i think i've been the happiest i've been in probably even years before my injury because I just have all of these ideas like sometimes I'll be waking up at 4am and I have to keep a notebook by my bed because I wake up at 4am with an idea and I'm like I'll just write that down you know just remember that for later so I have a few ideas but I I really want to basically kind of push the columns within the fitness industry because the fitness industry isn't very representative of different people Mm -hmm. so I would like to break them columns down and make it an accessible place for everyone whether that is Mm. whatever race you are religion Mm. your gender your sexuality your Mm. whatever disability you have Mm. I think there is a place for everyone in the fitness industry and I would just like to make that place more accessible Mm. I think you are doing wonders already in that department (laughs) so just keep going um what motivates you now I think the thing that motivates me is I just want to be better than I have been before. So I always think about, okay, like you did that good. How can you do that better? Mm. So I think it's so easy, especially as a female and for a disabled female to compare yourself to other people in fitness, other people's progress and Mm -hmm. other things people are doing. But I just want to be my own competition and I want to be doing things that last year would have seemed impossible. Mm -hmm. So if I can do something today that last year would have seemed impossible, then... For me, that's a good thing to aim towards. What does strength look like to you? Oh, what a good question. I think strength for me personally, from my personal journey and what I've been through, strength for me is being kind and being empathetic and being loving even when you can't love yourself. Because I have, I mean, when you're going through like really bad depression and when you're struggling, it's so hard to be nice, not just to yourself, but to people around you. And I think they understand that and they understand why. But I think if you can get yourself out of bed and find the strength to be kind to other people, even when you're not feeling too kind to yourself, that has been like the biggest learning curve for me, I think. There's so much that can be done with kindness yeah you know we all all of us on a complete spectrum go through stuff but if you can still get out of bed and be kind because it makes you smile like when i think you know i think there was this quote from ricky gervais's new show the thing about happiness is it's so special that it doesn't matter if it's you or someone else yeah so you know if you can make someone else's day if you can make someone else happy it, it just I think it, it makes you happy mm. within within yourself. I always say like some of my best conversations in my day are with my barista at the coffee shop because honestly, <laughs> it makes my day because I feel yeah. like I've like 
chat you've had someone. an interaction yeah. like a genuine interaction which like, is so, I, yeah. I asked someone where was I there I think I was in like Tesco's or something somewhere and I said to this guy I just I just turned around to him because he was next to me and he, he looked a bit confused and I went are you alright like I was asking me are you okay mm. and he looked at me and he just went do you know you're the first person to ask me that in <gasps> a very long and I, I like sat there and I, you know like don't cry don't cry yeah. don't cry like one of the moments I don't cry it looks patronising but I was like <laughs> Oh God, like, it's just, you know, I think if just we just spent more time asking each other, mm. are you okay? Mm. And not just, uh, are you okay? Say, yes, I don't want to know, mm. okay? Yeah. You know, like, oh, how are you? Are you actually okay? Yeah. I think, you know, we could really break down some well-needed to break down barriers. I completely agree with you. And I think that is just such a wonderful answer. Um, my final question for you is, who in your life demonstrates strength the most? I've I've met so many strong people. I've met so many inspiring people, especially with having an injury. I've met so many people with injuries who have overcome barriers mm. and made amazing progress. So I think I, t- I take inspiration and strength from everyone that I meet. I think because I'm so young, I try to take a little bit of something from everyone. Mm. But I think just from like knowing my dad, I'm going to have to say my dad, just because I've never met someone who works so hard and expects very little back in return. It's, and it's the same with his relationships. I think the other day, like he went to work at like 6am and then didn't come back till about 11pm. And then would still came back the next day and was, you know, oh, do you want me to make you breakfast? Do you want me to give you a lift anywhere? And I've never just met someone so selfless. Yeah, and I was so about to say selfless. Just absolutely just the perfect example of what I think a human being should be. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's just the like the dream isn't it and I think like selflessness is one of those qualities in someone where you're like you are amazing yeah genuine I have don't think I've ever met anyone as special or articulate or as wonderful as you Sophie oh that's so nice to hear (laughs) there was one thing that I did pull out um having read that article that I wanted to end this episode with and it's a quote from you and it is so special and it gave me goosebumps (laughs) so I'm going to finish by reading it um you said I want anyone who reads my story to feel inspired to simply live to take control of their lives and make it their own, but especially women, because I feel that for years, society has told us the positions that we can and can't take in life, and it's reinforced the expectations that are thrust upon us. So it's time that we take this world and redefine it as our own, regardless of your gender, race, sexuality, social status, or so-called disability. It's time girls knew that they can run the world and that the revolution starts from within them. I love how I got a Beyonce quote in there. That was very cheeky of me. You know, when I was reading it then, I was like, oh, she got the Beyonce quote in there. <laughs> I do all the time. Sophie, I cannot explain to you how wonderful it's been to have you on this podcast. It's been so I lovely being here. Thank so you. So honoured. Second visit to London. Yes, not bad. And it has been such a pleasure. So thank you so much. No, and I'm just you wishing you me. all the success for the future.